Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome listeners, fall weather lovers, and football fans to this week's edition of the Feel and Film Podcast. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me ready to tackle another great feel-good sports movie is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. That might have been the most subtle pun we've ever done in one of these intros, you think? Maybe, yeah. I think <laughs> that would just, that were, it's normally, like that's not a force at all. It's, right. That could just be a normal sentence. That was perfectly done. <laughs> I like that a lot. It's, yeah, I think we're not so subtle when it comes to like water movies and we dive into the conversation. That's a little bit more. Feels more obvious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like tackle. That's great. That's good. good oh, thanks for that. Well, 2006 uh, brought us the story of Vince uh, Papali, Papal, Papal, you know, as people, different people want to call him, and uh, the Philadelphia Eagles fan turned player. And we figured with the weather turning cooler, football season getting started, why not talk about a good football movie? This is a, seemed like the opportune time to do that. It's a, it's a great kind of laid back, uh, not so in depth that you're having to like break your brain to think about. Um, but it's got some heart to it. It's got some uh, just a lot of great moments that I'm excited to get into. So consider this your official spoiler warning as we get into the meat of our conversation. And uh, it's available on Disney Plus. It's definitely a Disney movie for sure. And uh, so let's get started. All right, Aaron. Before I get into the actual like questions, I I really want to just confess that I like this movie. I like watching it because it reminds me of when you lived in Philadelphia or in the Philadelphia area, you invited yeah. me up to come stay with you for a few days. And it's like, I'm trying to find some of the places that are shown in the, you know, aerial shots. I believe Vince's pseudo date night was at Gino's. I think it was Gino's, but I can't, it's, it wasn't called Gino. It was a different uh, restaurant or right. something, yeah. but I, it looked like Gino's. And I remember specifically going, we went to Pat's Steaks. Yeah. Uh, and then across we went to the Gino's. Across the corner. Uh, yeah. And uh, and I remember being like, I, I feel like I know this place. I feel like, like this is, every time I watch this movie, I think about um, hanging out with you, going to a bar and watching Arkansas, Alabama, where nobody cared. And, and then- put it on. Exactly. They're they that, the like, Penn what? State <laughs> Temple. At Penn State Temple. <laughs> it was such a weird thing. And like- why do you guys not want to turn this on? And then, of course, we I drive we by the next too at the time. And I was yeah, like, what is? They're like, so <laughs> who cares? Oh, it was, I remember vividly. There was a moment where I think Arkansas scored very quickly. You went outside the bar to go like, ooh, like just like this fear, like you were just so jacked about it. And then um, the next day, we drove by that same bar at like ten in the morning, and it was packed because the Eagles were yeah. in town and they were playing at like 2.30 or something. And I was just reminded, this is definitely not a college football town. This is a pro sports town, one that I've never really gotten my head around because I've never lived in a state or a city that celebrates a pro team. You obviously living in the Seattle area, you've kind of got the best of both worlds in terms of your, your Pac-12, your ties to Arkansas and SEC football, but then you've got your Seattle Sounders and Seahawks and Mariners and stuff. And so- it's just, it's cool. It's cool to be able to kind of watch a movie like this and not just say, oh yeah, I've been there, but to say, 
I get that to an extent. I get this like fandomonium that that comes from being an Eagles fan. I really thought the movie captured that pretty well in terms of just fandomonium in, in general. Yeah, I did too. I mean, and I think even as far as the relationship that Vince has with his friends and the scenes that sort of book in the movie, honestly, with them playing muddy backyard football, that's not something that adults do as much anymore, I don't think, in this day and age. But back then, and even as we were growing up, you know, I think it was probably fading at that point for adults, but that's a way that adult men would get together and celebrate their love of sports. It's like a pickup basketball game at LA Fitness would be now, or playing out at Rucker Park or, you know, something if you were in New York. But I really enjoyed that it's like they just love the sport and they love their eagles so much that it's it sort of does consume them i mean it's to an extent this is one of those movies that showcases how much sports can for better and worse <laughs> become an identity for people a lot of texas sports movies do this as well uh, when they're talking about like high school football and so I agree. I, I love that aspect of how well it kind of shows that. It's probably a little bit light on the reality of Philadelphia sports, especially in this era. They make a joke about like booing Santa Claus, I think, in the movie. I think that they reference it. But I mean, it's a Disney movie, so it's not R. It's not. It definitely doesn't show the worst of the worst on how Philadelphia fans treat their teams when they're not winning. Yeah, it's. That, that's one thing that I appreciate and but I'll but realistically recognize about a Disney sports movie is that you're not going to get the grit. You're not going to even get to an extent like a Rocky movie is going to have some grit to it. You know, it's going to have take, you know, coincidentally taking place in Philadelphia, <laughs> you know, so you've got these feel good sports movies that apply the Disney touch to them, the Disney heart that doesn't quite push you into the like, ooh. He said he said the F word or man, he just said hell or he said damn or something like that. And it's one that I think when you do something in a Disney format, it is challenging to kind of capture the hardness of it, the drama, and still keep that feel-good aspect. And I think movies like Invincible, Eddie the Eagle, these are movies that do that really well. They provide less about... It's it's almost like a, I guess it's like a level level one when you're playing a a video game and you're sort of getting progressively harder. This is kind of level one, level two type stuff where it it's digestible and you get the big swinging points, the big themes and stuff like that. But it's not like a movie like Warrior, where you have such a deep like impactful moment here and there, and it's not just because these guys cuss or that they're drinking. It's that it's it's very much like I don't necessarily believe all the stuff happening in Invincible, Invincible, but I do believe that the crux of the story is true. I do believe that Vince Papali tried out for the Jets and that he played for them and he had moments with them that were worth celebrating and that it came in with this backdrop of what was happening in the city of Philadelphia. And so what I think Invincible does really well as a movie is it captures the underdog story, not just from Vince Papali's perspective, which we'll talk about, but op you know, from the opening moments, it's the city. You know, Philadelphia 
at this point in time is dealing with a lot. There are strikes going on. Uh, people are out of work. You've got this bar that is sort of the oasis for folks to come to. It's kind of like Cheers, only it's a pessimistic Cheers because you know there's not lighthearted music playing. People are coming in for a beer or chicken soup if they're getting beat up at football practice every day. And it serves it serves as this like place where people know, okay, a beer and a conversation is going to satisfy at least for the moment what's happening you know, against what's happening around me. And that never got that never gets like solved. It's not like when Vince Papali gets he makes the Eagles team that now people are getting jobs and doing this. It's just this kind of like overarching thing that is just hanging over the city and this group of men where they're all trying to make ends meet. They're all trying to figure out, okay, what's the next step the next day? They're not trying to figure out what their lives are going to look like. And I think it really helps set up Vince's journey and how the individual characters that are his friend group, his, his buddies, how they all respond to that because of where they all are. They're all experiencing the weight of what Philadelphia is going through. And yet he's got this journey that he's starting. And it's really interesting to see how each one of those sort of react to it. Yeah, I completely agree. And this is also part of that like Disney sanitization of a story. But that's a great word. Sanitation. Yeah, sanitization. The most nice, like happy place. There's no bar fights in this movie at all. You know, the only animosity at all from his like rival is a is still a friend the guy he's like he's jealous that's really all it boils down to and he's a little bit jealous and then he also to your point like all of them they're wanting to live vicariously through vince's experience and you're right like they they go through these hard days where they're scraping out a living and it's really tough right now and not everybody's life is a happy one. And they get this small break where they can kind of let go. You know, today it would be for a lot of people like I'm going to put on a movie at home and watch Netflix and chill. Or I'm going to play a video game for a couple hours tonight, put the headphones on and unplug from the world. Uh, that's kind of the, what they're doing when they go to this bar. And that's what Vince is for them is he is their escape. And I think... They want to see a win for someone like them, even if it's not going to change anything. Like, they don't ever talk about money. I find that interesting. There's no discussion about how, oh, Vince is going to get rich off of this contract and he's going to be able to do all these things. That's really never comes up. It's only about pulling yourself out of this I don't want to say slum, but out of this situation that you're in, this economic problem and being successful. And that is something that gives them not just, I don't even know if it gives them hope that it can happen for them. I think it just genuinely, this is one thing I like about the movie, Patrick, they genuinely love each other and care about each other. And they just want that for him. Like he yeah. is a symbol and they are okay with it just happening for him. They're yeah. not super worried about whether or not it changes their life in any way. Yeah. I I think I latched onto that more than anything in that each one of these characters, Vince included, isn't looking for something so world-changing to happen. 
they're just looking for something, an opportunity, an opportunity that doesn't need to be squandered, an opportunity that is very realistic. I mean, Vince says so many times, I'll probably get cut today. I'll probably get cut today. He wants to pick up extra shifts at max because he doesn't think he's going to be making it week to week. Uh, I don't even know how long training came at, maybe it's days, but I think that Vince's story as echoed through his friends is one of realistic expectations. Like that's what I think makes Invincible work for me is that Vince as a character is one of these guys who he's not aw shucks. He tries out. He goes down there. I don't know if there's, there's never really any conflict. There's no like yelling from any of his friends like, you got to do this, man. It's an opportunity for you to take. No, he just chooses to go down there. And it's like the posture that Mark Wahlberg takes as his character throughout that whole sequence of those initial tryouts. It's like he doesn't, it's not like he doesn't expect to go. He says, look, I was down there for a day and I'm going to love it. It's going to be, I'm, I'm down here at the field where I've wanted to be. So he's a, he's a fan first and then a player second. And it's throughout this whole journey of his where he's not an Eeyore. He's like this kind of cautious optimist. He's learning. He's taking advantage of those opportunities. And he's listening to people. Like, I, I love that there's this balance of him being self-reliant as well as asking things. Like, you contrast his ability to, he can't run on special teams. He's trying to run fast. And the pads that he's wearing are just thick and they're bulky. And he can't, he can't run fast. So he switches into quarterback pads. At the risk of getting just pummeled and it, you know, it makes him go faster. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it does, but, but it was, that was a, a moment of self-reliance and autonomy, but you contrast that with his new roommate, the center who hates everybody. And he gives well, him that, that line. The, That's one of the few things I wrote down. I'm a sinner. I hate everybody. I just like, I was like, <laughs> yes, this is great. That and uh, lose the giant shirt in my closet, hanging in my yes. closet. I love that he said my closet, like not the closet, but my closet. Side, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but he gives him that tip about the knuckles and, and what to look for. And he says, yeah, I'm sick and tired of getting your head kicked in every day. So I watch Vince as he goes through this and I never expect him to like outshine a quarterback or a wide receiver. I love that the story puts him on special teams. Yes. Again, I know in reality, that's where he was. But I love that nothing that he does is so outstanding that it feels unbelievable. Like it reminded me of Rudy where he goes in for one for two plays and then he gets a, he gets a, a sack or a tackle or something like that. He didn't score the winning touchdown. He didn't do something just absolutely incredible. And Vince Papali doesn't in real life do, you know, he did pick up a fumble and score a touchdown. I don't think it was in that game necessarily, but it it wasn't a game changer. Like I think that game was already in hand and he ended up going in and 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 making the touchdown. But I think watching how Mark Wahlberg portrays him, it very much feels like he recognizes his limitations, but doesn't let those limitations dictate his ability to at least try. And until the opportunity doesn't present itself, he's gonna keep doing it. I love that he doesn't quit. I love that he doesn't short sell himself. But I also love that he doesn't have an ego the size of Montana where he's like, man, I deserve this. Like he has this entitlement. He doesn't. This is the everyman, Aaron. This is the this is the character that I think a lot of uh, what what really appeals to Disney movies is the one that people can get around that you can you can root for 
but he has a level of realism that doesn't make us feel like he's completely super heroic or completely fake. Like there is very much in the character of Vince Papali in this movie, someone I can connect with, even though I don't have guns like Mark Wahlberg or can run as fast as him. I can connect to Vince Papali and everything that he goes through because it feels very natural for his journey. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's realistic. And I think that's, it's, it's a, for a biopic, that's what it needs to feel. I, a lot of things you said there that, first of all, the fact that he does look the part, but the film is, uses a ton of quick cuts. It was very obvious to me that the movie was making great strides to not show him actually in competition like during the football scenes and during the training camp scenes, like it would show him start to run and then it would either put him in slow motion or we would just cut to him like being in the front. You you never actually saw him doing these athletic things and being phenomenal on the field because he's Mark Wahlberg. He's an actor, not an athlete. Uh, so I just thought that, that was interesting. To your point about the quarterback pads, because I wanted to bring this up at some point, that moment annoys me to no end because it's played as a heroic choice of sorts. And I'm the curmudgeon here who says, if you're doing it the wrong way to get an advantage, then you're not actually winning because the reality is you can't do that in a game. Like you need to wear the pads that everybody else is wearing. And if you're beating them because you're not wearing the pads, that are uncomfortable to you, that everybody else has to wear for their own safety, then are you really beating them? Is it really fair that you're beating them? So that moment was like a little weird for me because it kind of, I felt it almost like took a bit away from his success in that moment of yeah. beating out Samson because I was like, Samson's doing it the right way, bro. You're doing it the dangerous, un unsafe way. <laughs> well, but I think it, to your point, it makes it makes a valid point that he has to have an event. He has to change the way he does stuff. Whether it's in agreement or not, it it shows both, I think, a level of ingenuity and a flaw in him where he has to make that adjustment because Sam or uh, the other guys are straight up like professionals. And I would imagine nine times out of 10, those pads are not going to change the out the outcome like if they ran nine you know ten straight of those and he had the same pads he probably beat them once maybe twice which is why he's not a starter per se he's on special teams and there's nothing wrong with special teams but there is some truth in the fact that special teams is where you go if you can't quite cut it as an offensive player or a defensive player special teams is just that it's special and i there's immediate I mean, you and I, we yes. we we just experienced <laughs> our rivalry game this weekend. Special teams mattered a lot. And so I, I'm not discounting that role, but there is some truth to the fact that if you're if you, you make the if you make special teams, it's probably because you're good enough. You're good, but not good enough. And I think it's that it's it is. is is built more on effort than it is built on athletic talent. You don't right. draft guys with a specific talent to make special teams. You draft guys like Vince, or you want guys like Vince, who are committed to throwing their body into the wind and going full bore every single time there's a kickoff 
regardless of any personal accolades. That's yeah why he fits there. And I, so I get it. I just I just wanted to bring up that I was like a little yeah at the hurt moment. But then well, go ahead. Well, I was, uh, also you mentioned the training camp sequence, and I think that it, it's one of my favorite moments in the whole film because of the realism there. There is so much comedy that goes on. Not training camp. I'm sorry. The open tryout. There, there's so much comedy that happens in open tryout. The dudes that show up. With, I think, with yeah. The cape? No, I, I mean, but this is, but to me, that's what would happen. I don't doubt for a second that's how it went down. Guys that had no business being there were there. And it probably looked just that bad and that atrocious when you're comparing it to real football players and real right. athletes. Uh, and I just, I got a real, real kick out of, especially watching the actual team guys, like seeing <laughs> just, I mean, it was, it was hilarious. Yeah. I, I love that. It, it provided real levity to, to the movie. I mean, the, the movie itself, we've mentioned is lighthearted, but there, there, there is like weight that brings us to that moment. And you know, seeing all those guys in that line getting interviewed and the dude with the cape just going, fight, Eagles. I mean, it was fans coming out to participate in something that they knew they didn't have a shot at, but they wanted to be a part of it. And when you take Vince, I think he's the same way. He is equally as much a fan as these guys are without the cape and the obnoxiousness, which I think speaks volumes to the different kinds of fandomonium you have. My wife and I, as I'm sure you are, are watching the second season of Welcome to Wrexham. And one particular episode, I think it's the latest one that's released, talks a little bit about toxic fandom and how you have this team, Wrexham, who the world, metaphorically, has fallen in love with because of Ryan and Rob. And yet we forget about the fact that there are like 20 other teams in this league that have just as e an equal amount of fandom who can probably celebrate what Wrexham's doing, but also kind of hate them at the same time, because it's like, we're just as valuable. You know, you got, you got Nottingham, uh, not Nottingham Forest, a Premier League team, but you've got Knott's County, who is at this point, you know, neck and neck with them in the standings. They've got a big fan base too. And they have probably every right to say, we don't care who your owners are. Wrexham can go somewhere. And so when you see these fans, these Philadelphia Eagle fans that are like Uber fans with capes, the spirit of those characters live in Vince Papali. I think he's equally as much a fan, but his portrayal as well as his friends come across as we need this team and this team needs us. They're not just being obnoxious and like, I get up for Sunday. It's about the fact that they say this team is what binds us together. The Eagles bind us together. And so watching the hilarity of those tryouts contrasted with him he never smiles it's it's work it's a workout and he's like if i make it i make it if i don't i don't so i liked seeing that i like seeing that he took it seriously but again was realistic enough to say mm, you know I, I i i i can i can compete to an extent and i think that it it tells us more about him as a character that he's willing to try and at the same time not feel like he's owed something. And that's I think what I think that's what Dick Vermeil sees in him and that is at heart, that ability. Again, I mean I think the the Rudy reference, at one point I think Rudy's told, you know, you're you're not going to do anything but wear the smelly old practice jersey. 
And at some point in the movie, he responds not necessarily to that, but he says, you know, we got to be at a game against this team and that's going to be my job is to get ready and become the defense, to be the punching bag, you know, to be the special teams that's willing to put their body in harm's way in order to make the team better. And I think that's the attitude that Vince takes here. And whether it means switching out pads or finding a way to stay with the team, it it's a it's an interesting look into how dedicated he is to making the team better because of how he values the team beyond just wins and losses. Agreed. He he is definitely the reason that Vermeil is drawn to him is because he's trying to change the attitude of the team. Now, it didn't result in massive team success for the Eagles. If you go back and you look at this historically, so it's not like they suddenly went from being a really, really crappy team to a really, really great team. And I find that interesting because it's a biopic, right? So we're, we're talking about Vince's personal story and journey. But when you look at this as a whole, it reminds me a lot of what my team is going through right now with its head coach, who is a wonderful motivator and who brought guys in and loved on those dudes and built a room that is one that I truly believe he cares about these kids. There's a moment in this movie that really hit me. And it's when one of the guys in, one of the coordinators or somebody in the room tells Dick, he says, people don't want heart, Dick. They want wins. And this is true, Patrick, because here's the thing. (laughs) We want heart on top of wins. It's a bonus. It's a great, I would rather have a team to root for that is good and full of upstanding young men or women and coaches who don't get arrested, who have awesome personal lives and have never been divorced and help the community. But that's a bonus. First and foremost, I want you to win. And one of the things that I found funny about this story is that, you know, it plays up Vince's big moment and his touchdown and and all that. And the people are cheering for him. And it's all, go Vince, like we love you. Vince is our guy. You know when Vince wasn't their guy, Patrick? In the game before that, when the New York Giants linebacker almost literally kills him by (laughs) blocking him into oblivion. No one's (laughs) cheering for Vince. They don't give a crap about Vince. Vince only matters because Vince did something on the field worthy of cheering for. Because it contributed to a victory. And I I just, (laughs) this is not a knock necessarily on the movie. Just something totally tangential about sports in general that I think is funny when it, again, gets a little bit sanitized in a Disney production. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I was reminded as you were talking of Ted Lasso's conversation with Beard at the near the end of the first yeah. season. One of the great conversations, because I'm a Ted Lasso, I'm a soccer coach, and that's I'm building character in these young 10-year-old men, uh, 10-year-old boys, sorry, they're young men, sorry. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> football but, is life. Football is life. Yeah. So, I, so I'm building in my own relationships with these with these kids. I'm building like, hey, we are a team. like one thing I stress all the time, especially when it comes to uh, this new keeper that we're we're breaking in, who's just trying to you know make it make it work. I say, hey, who's responsible for stopping goals? And they're like, the keeper. I'm like, no, he's not. The other eight of you that are on the field are responsible for it because. That ball has to get by eight of you before it gets to him. Not that he's not the one that stands in front of the goal and is using his hands. Yes, as a keeper, 
That's part. That's his primary responsibility. But it's equally as much your responsibility to keep that ball from going in. And so I'm, I'm, I talk about teamwork. And I was reminded of what Beard said to Ted, where he's essentially like, this is their job. Their job is to win. And if they can't win, they don't work. And you can, this is me paraphrasing, you can build up enough character in these men, but if they can't score, if they can't get wins, it's not going to matter because fans aren't going to look at the great character of these young men. We can fall in love with the nice people that are celebrities. I can look at Deion Sanders as the head coach of Colorado, know that his profession of faith is, is real and that he's shown that, but I can also see Showtime Dion making the comments that he does and getting like slapped down by Oregon this weekend because, yes, it is sort of poetic justice. And the thing is, Aaron, I knew it was going to happen at some point. I mean, it's Colorado. I think long term, Deion Sanders is bringing a culture to that university that's going to change the mentality. And Colorado could be good. Will it oh, be I a want, dynasty? I, would, I wish my team would throw the bag at him right now to come to the SEC. I would I, <laughs> th- be thrilled. I don't care. Because, yeah. Yeah. But so here's the, here's the deal. You're yeah, absolutely so right. It, absolutely. But as I've seen with Arkansas, I've seen with LSU, we have coaches that are people's coaches or, or player coaches. And then we have coaches that are like businessmen. So Bobby Petrino cared nothing, I would say, on paper about these players. He was all about the wins. And he created a passing game. I remember specifically, I don't know if I was at this game. I think it was Georgia at Arkansas in Fayetteville and was just lighting up Georgia. Georgia came, it became a shootout. But people took that loss and they were like, dude, we're not just running ball. We're not just conservative. He changed the culture. But not out of character, out of wins and losses. He's like, this is a team that you do not want to mess with because we can throw the ball finally. Houston Nutt comes in and creates this balanced, like crazy offense where you have the Wildcat or the Wild Hog and you have Darren McFadden. And, and for three or four seasons, you have these 10 win seasons where they're threats. And I see that the same thing happen with LSU where you have a Les Miles who comes in and he's kind of a the vanilla coach, but the kids seemed to like him and he found success probably at the expense of, you know, Nick Saban leaving the cupboard a little full. And then he takes off and Ed Odron comes in and this guy is the player's coach. Like he's from Louisiana. He told about this is all great. You know, he's, and he is a personality that people like. Well, he has his moment. We got Joe Burrow. We have it's like the, the perfect storm of like talent <clears throat> and scores and, and, you know, and, and schedule. And then he takes off and now we have, Brian Kelly, who I think is a corporate coach. I think he cares about these young men, but he cares. I mean, he he runs his practices. He runs all of his meetings with his team like a business. Will that get more wins? I hope so as a fan, but I'm also like you. I like, where's the Vince Papali in all this? And I wish that there were much like you. I wish that you had all that together. But unfortunately, as fans, we're fans of teams because we want them to win. We stay fans because we're loyal. You know, if you're a, a Cubs fan or a Red Sox fan, I mean, you stay with them these numbers and numbers and numbers of years, even though you know that they may never make it to a World Series until they do. And then you're like, yes, it's validated after sure. 119 years. Sure. And I think the same thing applies to the Eagles here. You look at their season, I think the only team they beat that season twice, New York Giants. 
fight. Yeah, they had like three or four wins. I look. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was like it was that's awful. why I was like, come on, man. <laughs> Vince Papali was not a game changer. No. He was literally not a game changer. But I think that this movie is not saying that. I think this movie is not saying that he changed. It is manipulative, and I absolutely agree. The, the little tag at the end, you know, uh, Vince, <laughs> eventually they took them to a championship. They didn't win the Super Bowl. That's the thing is you can word it any way you want, but it reminded me of that conversation with with Janet, Elizabeth Banks' character, who's having to defend herself because her Giants went to the championship over and over again but didn't win, and like the lone Super Bowl win was against the Giants. And I'm like, but that's the only Super Bowl you want. I mean, you're that's yeah, not her smackdown of him was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I I you know, to get back to the to what we're talking about, I think the creative liberty here was all about escalating or elevating Vince. It was not initially about the the franchise. And even though it sort of pointed in that direction, like it sort of you put two and two together, like, oh, I guess Vince Papali helped bring them. A championship? No, he didn't. He only played for two seasons and or three seasons, and he was done. But I do think that what the movie is trying to do, which is to say heart matters, is a true statement. And so, I think we realistically, as as sports fans, say heart matters, but it's not everything that matters. Wins matter, talent matters, all that stuff culminating to something. And I think, Aaron, it's why you and I want these stories that we see about individuals to not have shade on them. You know, we want to be able to uh, remind me again of the Notre Dame player who had the mystery girlfriend that didn't exist. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, it became uh, a... Yeah. I, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty calm. But, but at the time, as fans, Manny even if you weren't a Notre Dame... Yeah, Manny Taylor, yeah. yeah. At the time, even if you weren't a Notre Dame fan, you loved that story because he was a talented football player who was a, uh, a runner-up during the, uh, the... As a Heisman. And... Then all this stuff comes out about his his girlfriend that didn't exist, and you're like, oh my gosh, what a fraud! And then you get the bigger story, which is that he was actually a victim in all of this. So I say all that to say that we gravitate towards people who give us hope, who give us the ability to uh, root for something. And when that's when it's tainted, I think that's when it really kind of hurts our heart because we want to root for the man not just for the team that he represents. You know, I, I would love for every LSU player to be above reproach. And I thought it was amazing that both Arkansas and LSU were the number three for Greg Brooks. I thought that was fantastic. And then we get this linebacker who takes down KJ Jefferson and then like pushes him down and doesn't get a flag. I'm like, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> and so when Harold Perkins gets that like goofy <laughs> roughing the pass, I'm like, that's probably your karma there. So, it's hard, you know. It's hard for us as fans to really want because we want both. We want the wins, but we also want the character. And um, this definitely, this story definitely leans into the latter more than the former. Yeah, I also want to say I I like the during training camp sequence when guys are getting cut. I shouldn't say I like it, but I appreciated how miserable that scene depicts that because I think that has got to be one of the worst things ever. You know, these guys are giving their all out there and they're trying to make this team. And when they're like calling guys in and you can see different dudes like sitting in their 
little rooms with their playbooks. And, and especially when they're like, now turn in your playbook. I mean, like it, it just, that has to be so crushing. It reminded me of an interview that I either read or I don't remember if it was on a podcast or on the radio or something recently, but somebody was being interviewed. I think it was one of, I think it was a Razorback, a former Razorback. And they were talking about his career and he went through every single stop. And this guy had played for like 15 or 16 teams. And he talked about like getting onto a practice squad for two months and then off and then going to flip burgers and then getting a call and then flying to New York and being on a practice squad for three weeks and then being done and going back to flipping burgers. And then the next year on this team and like making training camp and like getting to play in like five games overall in his entire career. It was, he went through the entire life of a player that, 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 that plays like that, which we don't think of those guys, right? All we think about and care about is like the stars, but there's a lot more of the guys like this that are bouncing from team to team and practice squad to practice squad and that never see the field in any meaningful way. And they kept asking him, they were like, what's it like? You know, you're like chasing this dream. At some point, do you give up on it? And he's like, you definitely feel that a lot. <laughs> you, you know, it comes up and you have to fight against it. But if it's truly something you want, you keep working at it and you keep fighting for it. Anyway, I say all that to say, I felt all of that really well portrayed in that one sequence where they were cutting people like it hurt me made me sad even for the guys that you know in the I, I like that there's no real villains like Samson rizzes or you know gives him some crap and there's definitely some animosity there from the, the players that were on the team and some of the newbies which I'm sure is normal these guys are they've got to be teammates but they're also fighting each other for a position and a job and the ability yeah. to be on the team but at the end of the day, you still feel sad for anybody that doesn't make it. Yeah, and I and I have some some sympathy for the quote unquote bad guys, those guys that didn't like him. They had every right to not like him. Here's a guy who comes in yeah. an open tryout and impresses Duke Vermeil to a point where every player that he is connected to in terms of a position that gets cut, they can always point back to say, Yeah, you just took his spot. You just took his spot. Now, that's not true because they cut a ton of people. I think they were like 30 total that they cut. And so logically, he did not take away all their spots. But there is some merit in what they're probably thinking, which is, listen, these are guys coming out of college. These are guys that have been working hard consistently. They want their shot. And this guy, Vince, is coming in to... He's got heart, but does he really have talent? And I think the movie definitely sugarcoats it, but it definitely it also asks the question, if he has it, is it enough? And if it's enough, is it enough to to keep him around? And so when Dick Vermeil is with his other coaches and he asks them, you know, what do you think? What do you think? And all of them are like this other guy. I it felt a little cheap. It felt a little like hokey because Again, unless this is Moneyball <laughs> and you're listening to all these scouts and you're like, I know something you don't know, Dick Vermeule is not making a great choice in my opinion. You listen to your coaches because it, when all this is done, if you're not winning more games than you're losing, one guy, he might be able to change a locker room, 
but historically that's never that's never really been the case. Look, even Tim Tebow, he had a great career at Florida and he probably changed some of the culture of the locker room. Now his mission was beyond football, but if we just take it at face value, it didn't translate well to the NFL. <laughs> he wanted to be a quarterback. He's not a good NFL quarterback. Put him out at tight end. Didn't like being tight end. He's a talented guy, but he's talented in a particular system. And so when you look at the choice that Dick Vermeil takes, I think we celebrate that because it's the underdog. But I don't know that it's necessarily the right choice for the team. Had he picked the other guy over Vince, would they still have the same record? Probably, because Vince's role in on the team and this other guy would not be significant. It's not like he was cutting a quarterback and putting Vince in his place to take a chance on. So it was like minimal impact. And this is where the movie sort of gets kind of too feel goody because it amplifies Vince's role as being something significant. What it does, I think, successfully and accurately is how he now embodies the spirit of Philadelphia. He takes this idea and he says, look, I've done this and I've got the support of my family, my Philadelphia family. And he's not saying, if I can do it, you can do it. But he's saying, here, use me. I can be the symbol for what it means to find hope in a time period that's very hopeless. And I thought that was done really well because when he gets onto the onto the field and he looks up and he, I don't know if he points, but he looks and he smiles like, look, it's us. Yeah, whatever. He never makes it about himself. It's never about the name on the back. It's always about the folks in the stands and what they embody. And he is now a vessel for that, which really makes me enjoy the movie because I can get beyond, I can get behind a symbol, even if the symbol is not going to be the impact player like a Jordan or a Pippen or anything like that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's what makes these movies fun and awesome little one-off stories about the guy that had a cool experience and got a cup of coffee in the NFL. And the reality is that most people aren't going to play that way. Like, that's the thing is you can't, we, you can't make it an analog for every player in the NFL because you don't want every player to be like that. Uh, you need every player somewhat to be the way that they are, <laughs> you know, because Vince is not expecting to make a life out of this and to be a superstar and make a ton of money. Vince is simply trying to achieve a dream and enjoy it for as long as it lasts and prove that letter that his wife left him wrong that says, Vince, you'll never go anywhere, you'll never make any money, and you'll never make a name for yourself. I also, so I want to talk about women for a second. <laughs> that sounds like a terrible statement to make on a podcast with two guys. What a segue. Wow. <laughs> Let's talk I, about I, women. Nobody flipped that. I hope that never gets <laughs> women. That's, it's just going to be me just saying that on the internet. Um, and then who knows what people will post at paste after that. Anyway, the, the wife. I was torn for a minute. I, I don't appreciate the way in which she left him, but he doesn't seem like he's really that motivated to be a great husband and earn a living when we first meet him. And so I didn't have quite the sympathy for him that maybe the movie wanted me to have because I was kind of like, mm, you know, she's not wrong. <laughs> and you're just kind of sleepwalking through your life and you've got yeah. somebody else that you're responsible for. Did you have any of those feelings? Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't love this storyline. I thought that if you're going to give this guy motivation, you just set it up with the the down and out city. 
like that to me, what we talked about for the last 30 minutes has been the thing. The fact that we haven't brought up this letter <laughs> that he keeps until he finally you know, tears it up when he's like, I'm, you know, I'm doing this. It feels out of place. And I think it's there just for dramatic effect to start the ball rolling on he needs something to be motivated by. And I'm like, you have something. You have a city that is on strike. And the city needs you, Vince. It needs your muscles. It needs all the things that you're providing. By the way, I, I love the fact that he goes jogging for like seven hours, you know, and then comes home and is like, I'm going to go jog for another seven hours. This is cool. And I, I, I just, I didn't like it because I thought she didn't really do anything wrong. She was like, I'm fed up with this. We don't know anything about their relationship. We just know that they were married. And it sort of set up this relationship with Elizabeth Banks that I thought, again, I'm not saying women need to be omitted from this. I love her character. I love that she can hang with the dudes, like that she has all this great trivia. I mean, she is she is the attractive sports enthusiast that someone who's into sports would want to be like, wow, you're amazing. And she can hold her own. I think that I think she, she does that really well. I think that she also serves as a sort of conscience for him, like when they're at the uh, Geno's-esque place. And she's like, I don't know what you thought this was going to be, Vinny, but I just got out of a long-term relationship. You just, your wife just left you like a minute ago and I'm not ready to do this. He's like, yeah, you're right. And I didn't really want them to get together. I thought that they they work well as a couple, like a friends, like when she gives him the soup after what the first day of training camp, he's all you know bruised and whatnot. You knew they were going to get together, but it wasn't, again, a strong thing. I thought she accented the boys really well because she provided this softer kind of empathy for him that exists in his other friends' lives. Like, I love Tommy. He is, uh, is it S.F. Evacito, John S. I can't remember, pronounce his name. He was in Fringe. He was one of our, our characters in Fringe. But the fact that the moment that I, I love, I cried when he when he said, "You're a freaking eagle," you know, because <laughs> like, he when he asked him to come out and help, you know, fix his car and it's not broken or whatever. But I think that those two characters contract they they complement each other well because they provide an emotional um, back backdrop for for Vince. But I just I didn't want that with Janet. I, I wanted him to be friends. I, it made sense that they get together, but I think that's more of the let's tie the bow really nicely and make sure that everybody's happy. Um, also, she has an apartment that has furniture and not holes in it. So I think that's a plus one for him. You know, the fact that they're probably going to live together in her apartment and hopefully he doesn't destroy things like he did in his own. But yeah, I, I didn't I didn't love the the I'm fine with the female inclusion. I think Janet's a stronger character than his wife. It just, it's felt very throwaway like. Yeah, same. I, I would agree with you 100% on all of that. I, I didn't love the either. I was glad that the romantic storyline with Janet was kept to a minimum uh, as far as the romance goes. It does give us an explanation at the air, like historical thing at the end of the movie. I, I believe they did get married and they stayed married for a very long time. So that's wonderful. I thought she was 
probably a great human being as part of their group and just could not buy Elizabeth Banks at all because whatever she was doing with her accent was all over the place. And <laughs> every once in a while, it was New York or New Jersey. Sometimes it was just like nothing. And then I, I, it was like Billy. It was it was wild. Like I, I got so distracted because every time she'd come on screen, I would hyper focus on how her voice was going to sound when she spoke because I was so invested in like what she was doing. It was all, it was wild. Um, but other than that, no, I, I do like that character and yeah. the way she was handled. And I, I really, I did enjoy it a lot. Yeah. And it's Kirk, uh, Acevedo. So okay. I don't want to nice. diss him, not John or whatever, but it's Kirk <laughs> Acevedo. Um, a couple of other quick points before I finish up my, my thoughts. I really liked the cinematography in the movie and the soundtrack. They were such, it was very seventies, which is where the you know time period is, but I love the sepia tone. I believe the director was also the DP. So I appreciate the fact that in this, in this movie, he really wanted to capture the seventies without getting too like hammy with it, like the, with the, with the outfits and stuff. It was very subtle. And I thought the way that he colored the, the scenes was really well done with that CBA because it felt very, very much seventies. And when you throw in a soundtrack that I basically live by in terms of that decade, my dad says I was born in the wrong decade, but she's probably right. You know, I, I love the sixties and seventies music and it was nice to, to be able to just enjoy that. But I, I thought from a technical standpoint, those were probably the, the stronger elements uh, as, apart from the couple of good performances by, uh, by Wahlberg and a couple of others. I thought that, that, yeah, I love the cinematography and the soundtrack. I did too. And I know you had a note in here, we didn't mention it, but the sports in the sports movie part of this, uh, that is one of the places I actually really enjoy the cinematography, even though it does have, like you say, quick cuts for actual play on the field. And it's very minimal, 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 minimal play on the field. It's much more, takes more, more places in training camp and tryouts and, uh, and there than it does during actual games. But, the shots, I thought, were really well done. The and There's an amazing, fantastic overhead camera flying into the stadium at the very beginning of the movie that I loved. Like, I was like, it, like, it got me in, into the movie right away because I was like, okay, here we go. Because you get to see what they're building to. Like, this is all about the iconic nature of Eagle Stadium. And you, you zoom in from the top and you get to kind of, the fans getting louder and louder and you get to see them all being rabid and it goes all the way down from the sky onto just showing the offensive and defensive line. And then it spins and it pans out like horizontal. I just thought it was great. Like, yeah. And I didn't need football. Like I didn't need to see, I would rather you do that if you know you can't shoot and don't have the athletes to put like awesome actual football on the field. Do something like that instead. Um, that was really good. And there was a couple of different times that they showed stuff like that. So yeah, I, I liked the yeah. over, and I liked, like you, I liked the kind of sepia tone of it as well. Mm -hmm. And the way that they shot the uh, two scenes that I loved so much, those mud football. Well, one of them was mud football. One of them was backyard dirt football. But I, Dirt I football. <laughs> how those were shot. And then I loved the end of the movie when they, I just, I'm an archival footage junkie. It's why I like documentaries so much. And so for them to then show the actual plays that they had of Vince Papali making 
that touchdown and also the block that happened against him, like getting to see those in real time was a really fun little addition there. Yeah, for sure. And the way that they did it, the archive footage looks like stuff from like Polaroid or the or the the eight millimeter type stuff, which it probably was. But I like the fact that they didn't remaster it or make it look like it was 2006, like very much what you would picture in the 1970s. Um, I also like the uh, I like the the sound editing inside the stadium, as you mentioned, because as you're panning in and you hear the crowd, you start noticing. It's not just a crowd. It is a booing crowd. Like they do not like their Eagles fans. And then you have the voice, the announcer like, be ready. Tickets for the next season go on sale next month. (laughs) You just see all the fans just react like, why would we want to do that? Why are we punishing ourselves? And yet they're going to buy, you know, Eagles season tickets in a month because it's Philadelphia. You're Eagles fans. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Feeling Film. Next week, we are tackling the creator. I'm going to stay with that football analogy, even though this is not a football movie. Gareth Edwards' direct uh, directing feature here. I think it is one that we're both looking forward to. should be a good conversation and uh, good good stuff there. It's got AI. It's got science fiction. It's things that we can definitely gravitate towards. So I'm looking forward to seeing it, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about it, Aaron. In the meantime, have a great week, and we'll talk soon. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.